Streaming from Abby Cat Recording Studio in Chicago. You are listening to Influence, a podcast where we explore what makes great music influential. Welcome to the final episode of Season 1 of Influenced. This is the second part of the Damon Albarn podcast, and it's our final episode of Season 1. We'll see you guys for Season 2 on January 5th. We're going to take a month off for the holidays, but we'll, we'll see you guys soon. We're super excited for you guys to hear Season 2. Welcome to Influenced. I'm Blake Sokoloff. I'm Robert Dean. And welcome to part two of our uh, Damon Albarn podcast. If, if you if you missed uh, part one, you might want to go check that out now. That's where we kind of covered a lot of Damon's career in Blur and what kind of became his early career in Gorillaz. So we're we're now kind of uh, left off and uh, we left off at around 2004, 2005, like Damon had just put out the first Gorillaz album and what would be the last Blur album for over a decade, uh, Think Tank. So pretty much right after the uh, finishing up the short kind of tour revolving around the Think Tank Blur album, uh, Damon was kind of done with the, the with that project for a while, especially since Graham Coxon didn't even join them for Think Tank. The I think the guys in Blur were really just kind of feeling pretty petered out of the out of the band for a while. Damon kind of jumped right back into the uh, seat at the, the the pilot seat of uh, Gorilla, so to speak, just ready to keep keep moving and keep progressing where where he left off with that project. And obviously, they're a totally different ball game than than what he's doing with Blur and even what he would do, be doing with his with his solo music even down the down the line a few years. He he got back together with Jamie Hewlett, his kind of partner in crime in in Gorillas. And they also one of the one of the big changes they made for making their second studio album as Gorillas Demon Days, which would release in 2005, they worked with an outside producer for kind of the first time as Damon had done a lot of the production on on the first Gorillaz album himself, and while they worked with Del the Funky Homo Sapien a little bit here and there, and a couple of, and his his crew on a few other tracks of that record, that that first Gorillaz album was very much like a almost a musically a Damon Albarn solo project. Shortly after, or shortly before, uh, kind of they got together, kind of start working on on Demon Days. The producer Danger Mouse kind of really rose to prominence in the in the um, in the kind of musical world, and he he rose to prominence after after the um, kind of what is now a famous mashup album called the Gray Album, which is a mashup of um, Jay Z's The Black Album with samples of the the Beatles White Album. So here's here's a famous mashup off off of that album, which kind of got Danger Mouse on the um, foray of what people thought was insane music production. Just this bass, this 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 uh track off the uh the gray album here and this is called this is 99 problems off the off the gray album so 
So while that might kind of sound a little bit lo-fi to, to, to today's ears, and in the in the early 2000s, it was pretty insane that someone could make something like that, just combining samples from the Beatles' White Album and Jay-Z's rap verses, essentially. And that was definitely that, that kind of almost groundbreaking kind of style and production was definitely really attractive to Damon. So he brought he brought Danger Mouse on to kind of help Damon produce what would become Demon Days. As as they kind of completed the album, Damon also wanted to bring in as many kind of outside collaborators as as possible and even take things a step further than he took on that at that first Gorillas record with um bringing in like collaborators like Della Funky Homo Sapien and and people like that. He he really wanted to expand the uh, kind of musical scope of the band. And he started working with a lot of different rappers, including kind of most, one of the most notable is of course, uh, MF doom, who unfortunately recently passed away right. this, this past year. But, um, MF doom was the featured artist on one of the biggest, biggest songs off of demon days. November has come. And real quick before I play November has come, I'll play a quick, snippet of uh, an MF Doom track from 2004 off of his album Mad Villainy uh, called All Caps. So here's MF Doom. That is probably somewhat of a travesty having me Then he told the people you can call me your majesty Keep your battery charged He know it won't stick, yo And it's not his fault you kick slow Should've let your trick hold, chick hold your sick glow Plus nobody couldn't do nothing once he let the brick go And you know I know that's a bunch of snow The beat is so butter Peep the slow cutter as he uttered the calm flow. So you can, even, you can even hear like the sort of almost a gorilla's sort of style in that in MF Doom's music too, like the almost the crazy production, like the Mellotron samples that are weaving in and out of that, that hip hop track is very like very wonky and almost like that kind of cartoonish style that yeah. Gorillas became became so known for. And also one of the major things that Damon wanted to kind of do and one is one of the reasons he was reaching out to so many so many hip hop artists, especially um while making Demon Days was he really he was really inspired by the um political environment in the kind of early 2000s mostly surrounding like the Iraq war and um like both the american and british involvement in that conflict like, was was something damon was very very publicly opposed to and he that 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 kind of precedent is all over demon days there's so many songs about like soldiers coming to just peaceful lands like this the the song fire coming out of the monkey's head um really just describes a scene of a peaceful village just being overtaken by by enemies and camouflage so to speak and uh there's even a couple songs on this on demon days that take kind of even a couple um fairly direct cuts at like people like george w bush and the mm. british kind of leadership at the time but uh here's mf doom on November has come off of Demon Days. Slow it down some, no split, clown bum. Your gold hit sound dumb, hold it now, crown them. Where you found them at, got around town, could have drowned in it, would have floated, bloated, voted, sugar coated, loaded, hip shooter. Draw for the poor, free coffee at the banks, hit 
through the straw, none more for me, thanks. That blanks the raw, that dank short stank lit. Sank past the pit for more hardcore prank spit. Crank it on blast, low past front street. Blew the whole spot like some old ass with skunk meat. These kids is too fast, juiced off a junk tree. Who could get looser off a crunk or a funk beat? That uh, Demon Days also really saw Damon kind of perfect the almost the song structure that would kind of become a classic kind of gorilla song structure. And you and you also heard that earlier in the podcast on on Feel Good Inc. The song we opened mm-hmm. up the uh, the podcast with. But the uh, he really he really perfected on Demon Days this this songwriting style and structure where he would bring in a guest to kind of almost be a kind of MC for a, for a song. Like, like they would, they would get a few verses where, well, Damon would kind of tie everything together vocally with like a chorus sung by him. Um, and a bridge, usually like a bridge and maybe another verse that's, that's Damon's verse. But, but he really, he really kind of cemented this, this style of bringing in people who he really wanted to collaborate with and who he really loved musically and being able to turn their ideas into something that wasn't just wholly them or wholly mm-hmm. himself. It was something that was a very, a very equal kind of collaboration between between the people he wanted on the albums and and his own kind of musical input and the way that he was kind of forming this music. And and another like really intense political kind of thing that he also started, he started exploring on Demon Day, specifically on the song called Every Planet We Reach is Dead, um, where he's really he's really kind of became very concerned about the environment, just the way that humanity has kind of impacted the environment um, over the last few decades, kind of since he's been he's been alive. He's definitely seen a lot of just like pollution. And and obviously, war is certainly a major source of pollution in the in the world. And Demon Days is definitely definitely about that. I mean, the, the album is called uh, Demon Days. And I think that's definitely kind of where Damon maybe saw the world kind of headed or, or maybe he felt like the world was in some Demon Days kind of around the time of making this album. But this is uh, Every Planet We Reach is Dead, which is really kind of where musically where you can kind of start to see Damon's uh, kind of thoughts about the environment really kind of coming to a forefront in his kind of musical uh, musical foray, which is something he would go on to explore greatly in his musical career since since Demon Days, especially. But here's every planet we reach is dead. I lost my leg, like I lost my way, so no loose ends, So you can really hear the kind of almost like musical desperation that Damon is kind of hinting at that like humanity has has a lot to work towards. And I mean, he even says in that in that song, how do we 
where do we go from here? Like, how do we, how do, how did we get where we are and how do we get out of kind of where we put ourselves? And uh, like that, I guess that kind of uh, environmental aspect and that kind of environmental respect paved a a way kind of majorly for what would become the next uh, Gorillaz album. And um, after Demon Days, they underwent their kind of first major source of playing shows like they played some shows off their first their first album but they never had done like a full blown like major kind of tour before and after demon days they actually started playing some bigger shows some occasionally festivals and things like that which then led to another about four or five years after demon days it led to what would become one of their most successful albums um in the band's history, and and and, my, and personally, my personal favorite, mm-hmm. uh, Gorillaz release. Um, but uh, the uh, 2010 album Plastic Beach was really kind of it. Almost is a concept album about just environmentalism and just the impact on the world that the the human race has had on the on the on the planet, and and especially the oceans. Like the the album is entitled Plastic Beach because of how much plastic is literally in the ocean and damon was very just like horrified and inspired by by that fact and the 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 source of just like desperation that he felt for the for the kind of world and for the climate at the point at that point in 2010 he felt inspired to the point of wanting to make kind of one of his kind of biggest musical statements of up to that point like he he went all out in terms of just like the recording and the promotion and the like touring of this this album plastic beach like the the plastic beach band that the that he assembled for the playing the shows and for a lot of the recording of the album included definitely the most he kind of took upon himself to work with like quote unquote legendary musicians like the um rhythm section for the clash the uh rhythm guitarist mick jones and the bass player paul simonin for the clash um were the um two of the main players on this album like they guessed on a song called plastic beach which i'll play in a second um and they were actually part of the like one of the main cornerstones of the live band uh for the plastic beach tour like they played on every single show um, but like, yeah, so Damon Albarn, the gorillas were essentially touring with half of the clash and just their live band for this, this album. But here's plastic beach featuring Mick Jones and Paul Simonon of the, of the clash on plastic beach off the 2010 album, plastic beach. You mentioned uh, Mick and Paul from The Clash oh, on yeah. that. And yes. It's amazing how many people 
uh, he brings in for collaboration. It's just, to me, extremely uh, creative. Oh, definitely. I mean, like, if just looking at the um, the track list for Plastic Beach here, there's only three songs on the whole album that don't have at least one collaborator on them. And, uh, I mean, like, on the, on the Gorillaz albums kind of since Plastic Beach, there's been a few albums that have had pretty much a collaborator on every single song. So, and this is also kind of the album where I feel like Damon kind of really turned to a lot of kind of just legendary figures that he's, because he's, he, I mean, given that he's been in the music industry pretty in a pretty substantial manner since like almost the late 80s, mm-hmm. he's kind of been around a lot of people that he's had the kind of pleasure of, he's, he's kind of had the pleasure of meeting almost all his kind of major influences and kind of even becoming friendly with right. a lot of them. And uh, including people like like Lou Reed, right. Bobby Womack, like I'll I'll play the the song "Some Kind of Nature" off of Plastic Beach here in just a second, and this is a collaboration between Damon Albarn and Lou Reed. Obviously, Lou Reed being of the Velvet Underground in his solo career. Um, like I don't know if Lou Reed need, needs all that much introduction, right. but I'll, but I'll still play a a bit of "Walk on the Wild Side" here for you guys, uh, in case you need any Lou Reed introduction, but here's Walk on the Wild Side off of Lou Reed's 1972 album Transformer, uh, produced by David Bowie. Candy came from out on the island In the back room she was everybody's darling But she never lost her head Even when she was given head She says, hey babe, take a walk on the wild side Said, hey babe Take a walk on the wild side And the colored girls go Alright, yeah, that is of course Walk on the Wild Side by the legend that is Lou Reed but Damon just like the way that Damon has access to just these musicians and he knows exactly kind of he he can have a song that he's working on and know exactly like, oh, this song would be perfect for someone like Lou Reed or someone like Robert Smith or someone like Mavis Staples. And he can right. go out there and find hunt them down and get them on the song. <laughs> so like that and that's something that I don't really know if if anyone else in the music industry can say they have that wide of a, of a, of a range. I mean, like this is, I'm just looking again and looking at the plastic beach track listing here. I mean, you have Lou Reed two songs away from the indie rock band, little dragon, Hmm. who's two songs away from Bobby Womack, the soul singer, who's two songs away from Snoop Dogg. So like you, you have some of the most insane, just genre hopping of any musician that I've, I feel like I've ever heard of just on on one album um but here's here's some kind of nature featuring lou reed off of plastic beach some kind of nature some kind of soul some kind of mixture some kind of gold some kind of majesty some chemical load Kind of metal made up from glue, some kind of plastic I could wrap around you. You need to eat man made, they wear phony clothes, they sit with our picture, but 
Well, let's let's face it. You uh, bring Lou Reed into a song, cool factor goes up. Oh, definitely. I mean, like then, and, and just the fact that like. Like, that doesn't necessarily sound like it. Like, if I wrote that song, I don't think I'd necessarily be like, oh, this is a song that sounds like a song I'd throw Lou Reed on. But the fact that Damon Albarn can write a dance track mm-hmm. there and, like, the that he has the, the he has the, like, kind of creativity to be like, you know what, I think I'm going to call up Lou Reed and see if he'll <laughs> sing on this track. It's just like, exactly. I don't know if, I don't know if there's many other musicians kind of who would have that kind of creative gall almost yeah. to just be like, I'm just going to throw these together and it'll... It'll probably be amazing. So the Plastic Beach kind of tour was the first major world tour that the Gorillas ever did. And I actually I actually saw that tour back in when I was like 13 or 14 in high school. I think we, we, I, all, we all would, saw that tour. Yeah, it was, yeah. I was I mean, I, I, I love Gorillas even back then, but I, I kind of wish now I had a little bit more respect for seeing like Snoop Dogg come out in, in a crazy costume and right. kind of perform that opening number where when I was like 13, I was like, oh, I kind of know who Snoop Dogg is a little bit. <laughs> But the kind of bombacity that was the Plastic Beach tour actually ended up kind of creating a little bit of a fraction uh, in the gorillas kind of camp for a few years that needed to be kind of that needed to be uh, sort of healed for a while. Um, but Jamie Hewlett, the uh, kind of other half of gorillas who kind of handles all the art and all the like kind of videos, basically everything else that is involved in like the cartoon band that is the gorillas. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jamie Hewlett was kind of like, like he was, he was super into the fact that, oh, they had the craziest live band in the world. They had like, they had a whole full brass section for the plastic beach tour and they had half the clash on stage and, Mm -hmm. and so many rappers just touring with them for the whole tour and bringing out artists like Lou Reed on live shows to just to bring them out. And like Jamie Hewlett started feeling like the show wasn't as much about the cartoon kind of aspect anymore he kind of was just like oh well people aren't he he he, the way he says it is the the band kept getting bigger and bigger every show while the animation screen got smaller that kind of led to some just like a bit of a falling out for a period of like around four or five years where jamie hewlett and damon kind of just went their separate ways kind of after the the plastic beach sort of world tour like the band uh, the gorillas kind of culminated that with like a glastonbury headline so there was a massive tour success for the for the band, but I think on a personal level, it left kind of the two main gorillas sort of sort of tense, which did kind of give Damon a little bit more of a musical kind of leeway to where he was like, "All right, I don't have I don't have to put out anything under kind of any name for for a while." Like he he was kind of able to just kind of be Damon Albarn for the first time and. Mm-hmm almost 20 or 30 years in his music career like he's never put out he had never up to that point put out anything solo that was credited under, credited under the damon albarn name other than maybe a little bit of production work here and there and usually even when he did production work or um kind of did a little bit of moonlighting on on someone else's albums like did a little bit of session work he would even usually do it under a under a pseudo name like i think he would usually use this kind of name that kind of went back to back to the blur days it went back to like a blur b-side called dan abnormal Mm. but usually he would he would kind of do before his um before he kind of went out on us on his solo john he would kind of do his sort of um 
his moonlighting for other people's projects, like whether it be producing or session work or a little bit of keyboards here and there or something under his kind of Dan Abnormal name. But in the in the kind of mid 2010s, around 2013, 2014, kind of because the gorillas were in their sort of downturn phase and Blur certainly wasn't active at this point, mm. it really in any official capacity. They had a light sort of reunion kind of around the... Uh, turn of the 2010s where they started getting together for a few years to kind of play some charity shows and the occasional festival but blur wasn't really active at this point in any way that would take more than maybe a few weeks of damon's time at any one point well blur and gorillas were kind of on a bit of a the 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 side burner for a while i guess damon was like you know i might as well actually put out some sort of Damon Albarn music that he had never really gotten the chance to kind of do before. And he always kind of had some songs that he had written over over the over the last like kind of 10 or 15 years. He kind of just had that he didn't feel like were necessarily Blur songs or Gorilla songs. Mm. So this was kind of a way for him to get out some of his more experimental ideas, some more just like Brian Eno mm. influenced music. Like he actually uh, worked with Brian Eno a little bit on his solo album, which was called Everyday Robots, which was released in uh, 2014. But he was really inspired by a lot of like Brian Eno's more even ambient and experimental uh, kind of albums. Like this is By the River uh, by Brian Eno off of his 1977 album Before and After Science. Uh, But here's By This River, uh, a song that definitely like kind of paved a, a, a way sonically for what Damon was kind of going after for his solo project. So here's By This River. By Brian Eno. Here we are Stuck by this river You and I Underneath the sky That's ever falling down Down, down Ever falling down So as you can hear, it's just like very minimalistic kind of experimental sort of keyboard based um, music, like very like well produced, but very sparse. And the uh, each kind of instrument is very much making its own kind of statement in the uh, in the song. And that's definitely something that Damon was very inspired by on his solo album, Everyday Robots. And there were also a few sort of vaguely political uh, songs that he um, play at his like love of just animals and nature and stuff like this on on this album like there's a song called mr tembo that's actually it's just just like a very nice acoustic little number i'll play a, a little bit of it here in just a second but this song is actually based on an elephant that damon kind of befriended um i think it's an elephant just at a zoo that uh is named obviously named mr tembo um, but it's just like this elephant that, that damon uh befriended so damon wrote a song called mr tembo that's kind of just like about um, just like his relationship with with the wilderness and how he wants people to kind of treat like the wilderness just as well as like they might want themselves treated almost. Uh, but here is uh, Mr. Tembo off of Everyday Robots. Mr. Tembo is on his way up the hill with only this song to tell you how he feels. But to get that, he will need. 
So it's just like a nice little song about he wants how how Damon wants to like help just like nature and how how a lot of nature kind of needs a little bit of a helping hand because of the kind of situation that kind of humanity has left a lot of the world and just like animals and the planet and the environment and and things like that as well. That song is not necessarily as experimental musically as a lot of the rest of the album. Uh, like I'll play a song just a second. Actually, this song is called Heavy Seas of Love, and it is it's actually one of the collaborations on the album between Damon and Brian Eno, which kind of goes back to the fact that Damon can at this point in his career, he kind of just has so many musical connections between these like kind of icons that he's that he's just like I can kind of reach out to anyone who I feel I could make my my songs better. And Damon was working on this Heavy Seas of Love song, and he kind of felt like it was sort of similar to that mm. that Brian Eno sort of late 70s, very experimental piano keyboard based kind of kind of music. And and he w- kind of wanted to bring Brian Eno in to see what he could add to the song, kind of help finish it, put it together. So here's Heavy Seas of Love by Brian Eno and Damon Albarn off of Everyday Robots. The the closing track actually of Everyday Robots. When the traces of dawn come to fade in the light, you're in safe hands. Heavy seas of love. you can really hear the kind of just like the the very spacey very just like sort of reverberated music that kind of um kind of gives way to the almost this operatic choir of damon and a lot of like uh choir musicians just singing about the heavy seas of love so to speak around the time he was finishing everyday robots he wasn't quite sure if he wanted to do a full tour of everyday robots like a solo tour yet or anything like that so he was still kind of still kind of like he was taking his time putting out and putting together his solo album which actually led uh to a couple months where he was kind of sidetracked by a couple blur uh gigs mm-hmm. um just like they had been they got uh booked for a few festivals in like kind of the 2013 2014 2015 um, kind of festival seasons, and uh, I think it was 2014. Um, they had gotten booked for a festival in um, Japan that got canceled at the last minute. I'm not sure if it was due to weather or just like due to getting canceled for some other reason, mm-hmm. but it got canceled like very last minute. So it kind of led like Blur were kind of already in the in the in the country, like they were already in Japan. Mm. They had, a, I think, they also had they had the show. They had a festival in Japan that they were supposed to play, and then a week or two after that Japanese festival, they were they were slated to play a festival in Hong Kong. Okay. Uh, so instead of going from Japan, like so, obviously all the guys in in Blur live in the UK, so yeah. they decided to go straight from Japan to Hong Kong 
with like a week or with like a week or over a week of kind of just downtime. And kind of because of that, they ended up just like booking a studio for like five or six days, which led to them recording kind of an album off the just kind of off the cuff. They say like Damon and Graham Coxon have said like Graham Coxon was back in the back in the blur fold at this point. He had he had made kind of made up with the rest of the band members and they had kind of gotten past their differences. And and Dick Graham had also gotten a lot healthier, like been to rehab once or twice on kind of kicked his kicked his habits that were making him not a great band member. They so they they ended up kind of making this album and um they didn't necessarily finish it all in that week. And then Damon kind of went off on his everyday robots tour and like just like kind of got distracted by by his solo album and doing all the pr- kind of promotion and solo touring and everything for a solo album. So while Damon was kind of doing that, the other three guys in Blur, Alex, Dave, and uh, Graham, got back together with their regular producer, Stephen Street, who had been their producer kind of up until Think Tank. They they got together and started like kind of really polishing up the songs. And by the time Damon was kind of finished with his Everyday Robots tour, uh, Graham kind of took the uh, took the album to Damon and was like, hey, you know that album we recorded in, in Hong Kong a year or so ago? Well, the rest of the guys and I like polished it up while you were off like doing your solo album. Do you want to hear it? Do you want to maybe finish finish your bits? Yeah. And so Damon, like Damon listened to it. Damon really liked the way that it came across. And the one of the kind of major things that still needed to happen was Damon needed to write a lot of the lyrics. Like Damon said, he only had about 25% of the lyrics written for the songs that he had that they had already done. So Damon decided to take another what kind of week-long trip back to Hong Kong where mm-hmm. they initially recorded the album just like a solo trip this time, not with a whole band or anything. And he he took his uh like all the files with him like for this uh new blur album, uh, which would end up becoming the Magic Whip released in 2015. He finished all the lyrics like really, really fast, recorded the vocals. And very quickly had what would become the most recent Blur album, which was released to a lot of big fanfare and the band like played a lot of they didn't do a major full world tour, but they played a lot of really big shows like they played. I believe they played Glastonbury. They played a major show in in London, just in Hyde Park in London. They played Madison Square Garden. They played they played a stadium in Los Angeles. I don't remember what stadium exactly it was, but they they played kind of all over. But here's Lonesome Street off of the Magic Whip, the the first song off of the album. obviously an exciting time for blur fans oh definitely i mean like they they were they hadn't released an album in over a decade and like a lot of people kind of thought they weren't necessarily going to release an album again definitely a major moment for like british 
kind of rock music and just like the 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 kind of Britpop scene really almost kind of came back full force for a minute there in the mm-hmm. in the 2010s, especially because Blur wasn't the only kind of Britpop band sort of reuniting around that time. Like Pulp also started playing a lot of really big name shows kind of around those first uh, few years of the 2010s. So a lot of people were kind of like, oh, is Britpop back or whatever? Mm. Uh, but Blur didn't necessarily want to become like they did. They weren't necessarily ready f- to just become another fully active band again. So like that kind of album was a little bit of a um, a little bit of a kind of one and done for a while kind of thing for them. Like the the guys in Blur are all very good friends at this point. Like they all get together somewhat regularly just to like hang out, I believe. Like they there's definitely no hard feelings, and they even like they do still occasionally get together. And do some like um, just charity gigs and things like that. Like uh, I think just a year or two ago, they got back together just for like a one night show for the um, just like UK Cancer Trust. It's just like a charity concert that gets put on in the UK almost every year that just like sees like a bunch of random kind of British musicians just like get get together for for charity. And I think Blur kind of threw together a, a set like fairly unrehearsed set a couple like a year or two ago where they just played like two or three songs just like two or three hits um just to just to kind of have like a fun thing to do for the for the charity event but after kind of after that magic whip tour and uh the the kind of time that it took to kind of get all that put together that gave the guys in gorillas enough space to kind of put their heads together again and kind of be like all right now we want to uh like get back together and start making some gorillas music again and another sort of a major i guess cultural um moment that led to a bit of a resurgence in gorillas political fire because the assumption that donald trump would become the president of the united states like damon damon talks about how when he would get together with with collaborators for the 2017 album that would become humans he was like we want to put together we're putting together a party for the end of the world um and he wanted like just like a dance party for just like what would be a dance party for the end of the world. And so he he is definitely the most kind of I think the most hip hop influenced Gorillaz album. Like he's working primarily with art like art rappers and hip hop artists on this on this album on humans like like Vince Staples, Pop Can, De La Soul, Danny Brown, uh, Pusha T, uh, Jamie Principal, Kali Uchis. They're all like fairly hip hip hop influenced artists if they're not rappers themselves. Damon Albarn was very also like conscious of like the like struggles that were happening in America at the time for black black Americans specifically like a lot of the police brutality that was happening in the like kind of late 2010s and around the time of Trump's election was definitely something that fueled a lot of fire and the energy on the album Humans. And so here I'm going to play Let Me Out. Uh, featuring Mavis Staples and Pusha T. This song, I mean, this song is literally uh, kind of addresses just like a lot of the feeling in America at that time. Look into my eyes, mama, tell me what you see. Tell me there's a chance for me to make it off the streets. Tell me that I won't die at the hands of the police. Promise me I won't outlive my nephew and my niece. Promise me my pastor isn't lying as he preach. Tell me that they'll listen if it's lessons that I teach. Tell me there's a heaven in the sky where there is peace. But until then, I keep my peace and arms. Am I passing to the light? Am I looking at you now? Let me out. 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 Let me out.
So you can really hear that just like all the political energy in that song. I mean, like Pusha Definitely. T is literally talking about like, hope I don't get shot by the police. I like that, that just like those lines are very, very much just describe the kind of the just like political and emotional state that like America was in around the time that Trump got elected. And a lot of this stuff, Damon was really wanted to make sure he was saying what he wanted to say about about kind of that time in America's history. Damon was definitely very on the nose, and I mean very just like, he wrote a lot of that music before Trump had even been elected, so mm -hmm. he was kind of just like really fingered to the kind of political pulse and saw it before a lot of people, even in the mainstream kind of media, saw it coming. But immediately kind of after that Humans album, Gorillas have, have since since that Humans album actually released in 2017. Gorillas really have not slowed down at all. Like they've released three albums. Like they released three albums from 2000 to 2010, and from 2017 to 2020, they released that same amount of albums. So right. they released three albums in the last three years, essentially. And the second of those three albums was the Now Now, which is actually stepped back in terms of like Gorillaz wanted to kind of make something a little bit more basic in terms of the fact that like their last three albums had been so heavy on collaborations. Like the Now Now actually only has two of the 11 songs with any collaborators on them and only two, two collaborators that have any vocal kind of influence outside of the album other than Damon because one of the collaborators is just an instrumentalist. George Benson plays some great jazz guitar mm -hmm. on the, the the title track, Humility, which I'll play in just a second. But for the most part, the Now Now was kind of a return to Damon fronting the Gorillaz band, sort of wanting to make an album kind of as a as a sort of as a companion piece to humans. He wanted humans to kind of be the um, really serious and very like thought-provoking album where as he wanted the now now to be the album that people could turn on when they needed a break from kind of everything that's been going on mm. in the world recently and they just wanted an album to kind of turn on and get get groovy to and get get down and dance to so that was definitely like what he was going towards with the now now and i definitely would say he accomplished it with that album it's definitely like a very fun listen all the way through but here's Humility featuring George Benson, the jazz guitarist, off of the Now Now, the 2018 album by Gorillaz. Cause right now that's the ball where we be And if you're coming back to find me, you better have good aim. That uh, that classic George Benson sound coming yeah. through really yeah. really well there. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's definitely like another great example of just Damon writing this really nice kind of electro pop tune and being yeah. like, you know what? I think George Benson should just shred all over this, which is just <laughs> which it's such did. a it's such a random again such a, like a random collaboration, especially yeah. on a Gorillaz album with almost no collaborations. Right. It's kind of funny that like. Like Snoop Dogg is one of the other collaborators on the Now Now, and Snoop Dogg's been a uh, Damon Albarn collaborator for years. So it's not so surprising that Snoop Dogg would reappear on an album. But just like 
just a collaborator that Damon's never collaborated with on an album with almost no collaborators. And it's George Benson, like one of the most kind of celebrated jazz guitarists of all time. It's just like such a, such a random and kind of amazing little collaboration that sort of, I would say led pretty well into like what Damon has kind of concentrated on the last just like year or so, like, which has been kind of one of his most like in-depth kind of projects that the gorillas have kind of ever done. It's called, I mean, like it's, it's maybe not the most concrete in terms of just like, it's, it's more of a single song type project as in terms of, and instead of like a whole cohesive album over the last year or so, like a little bit over the last year, Damon has released the uh, Song Machine Project, a uh, project which means every single song in the Song Machine Project has at least one outside collaborator other than other than Damon and kind of the regular kind of Gorillaz crew. Uh, but just going down the, uh, the album, like the collaborators are insane. I mean, like you've got Robert Smith, Beck, Lee John, Schoolboy Q, St. Vincent, Elton John, Peter Hook from New Order, Octavian the Rapper, Cano, the another British, very successful British rapper, Slow Thigh and Slaves, Earth Gang, Joan as the Policewoman, Unknown Mortal Orchestra, JPEG Mafia, Chai, Tony Allen, and Skepta. Like, that's so much of just, like, the current and past musical knowledge. Everyone from Elton John to New Order to St. Vincent to to 90s rock, like, Beck and classics like, like Robert Smith. Like every pretty much everyone is represented on this album, even like even like there are over I think there's four different languages spoken on this album, like other than of like there's English, of course. Fatomata Diorama speaks French on Desolée. Chai speaks Japanese on MLS. Like this album is very just like it's a very, very global album in terms of just like collaborators were coming from all corners of the globe. A lot of the collaboration didn't even happen in person. It was a lot of it was kind of done virtually virtually because of the pandemic because they only i know i've I've read interviews with damon that they only got like two or three of these songs on this album recorded before the pandemic yeah kind of shut everything down so instead of actually instead of like a lot of people would probably have just canceled this project like they announced the song machine project like months before the pandemic the coronavirus pandemic really hit most artists with a normal work ethic would have probably been like, hey, everyone, I know we got like two or three songs of this song machine out, but because of the coronavirus pandemic, we probably can't really finish the rest of this. Like yeah. Damon was just like, no, nah, we can finish the rest of this and like finished it with like so many collaborators, like some of the probably biggest name collaborators like he's ever he's ever collaborated with by any means like i'll play the pink phantom the collaboration between gorillas black the rapper and elton john which is one of the most insane (laughs) kind of just collaborations of uh it's definitely the most insane collaboration on the album and one of the most insane just collaborations in gorillas history but here's the pink phantom off of 2020 song machine season one She's crossing over the line. Wait, I got 
Just the way that like Damon can meld like the auto-tune vocals from Black with mm-hmm. Elton's piano playing and his just braggadocious just Elton John vocals mm-hmm. and and to even like just to also squeeze himself in there like pretty much perfectly is is really like a testament to the way that Damon Albarn can bring these just massively disparate elements together and make it kind of an insanely catchy and groovy song out of it. And like another one of the big collaborations I want to give a little bit of a shout out to is the the song Aries featuring Peter Hook and the UK music producer Georgia. This song is absolutely like one of my favorite songs of the past like year. And like it features Peter Hook from New Order playing uh, the bass line and he plays a bass line that would fit immediately into a, a like a a golden era new order song like it's a it's a it's a song that's like aries reminds me of a new order song that's better than like anything new order have put out and <laughs> probably probably since peter hook got kicked out of new order honestly mm-hmm. but i i mean as much as i love new order they certainly haven't really been as much of their kind of classic self since peter hook left but the fact that damon albarn kind of put together this song and was like you know this sounds this bass sound, this bass line basically is just a Peter Hook bass line. I might as well call Peter Hook up and <laughs> get him to play it. It's just like a, it's one of the kind of the things that makes Damon like one of the most interesting musicians in the music business to me. But here's here's Aries featuring Peter Hook in Georgia off of Song Machine Season 1. baseline is straight out of a a new order song and played by the new order basis himself like it's 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 it really i mean it brings that whole song together and it it really just like like no one could have played that baseline and made it sound exactly like that and and damon just damon heard that damon wrote that i've actually read an interview where damon talks about how he he wrote the initial baseline for that song and was just like this is a Peter Hook bass line. And so he called Peter Hook up and was just like, hey, do you want to play your bass line on this song? Peter Hook was like, yeah, I'll play my bass line on this song. So Peter Hook just like kind of came down to Damon's studio and recorded the bass on that that song. And Damon also talks about now how he knows how to get that exact New Order bass tone. So he's very excited about that. But just the the way that 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 song is definitely just like another piece of the puzzle to me and that just like really Damon I feel like is one of the best artists at putting kind of any kind of song together and he knows exactly what needs to go where and who should be best to play perform it like that and who's going to get the best take and who's going to do the best rap verse on whatever song it is 
So like I I really just like I've always been very inspired by and very just like very wowed by Damon's skill and his ability to kind of choose the best collaborator for the job. And I think that that's something that he's always known for and sought after for. Like he's just he's a very sought after like kind of hip hop producer, especially artists that he's collaborated with on Gorillaz albums have since brought him in to produce on their own music. Like here is a song off of Vince Staples album, 2018 album, Big Fish Theory. And uh, he brought Damon in to produce and uh, sing on this song, Love Can Be, off a Big Fish Theory, where you can very very clearly hear Damon on some of the backing vocals and synthesizers and things. Uh, so like it definitely just like goes to show his kind of in, in increased influence and just like his kind of his spot in the uh, music industry is definitely something that's very well recognized by his peers and by like people who want to kind of make use of his talents and uh, like to to help improve their own music. So here's "Love Can Be" off of Vince Staples' Big Big Fish Theory. <laughs> You can like really hear obviously Damon on those backing vocals and the uh, a lot of the production on that song mm-hmm. as well, but just the uh, the way that he's kind of sought after in the music industry for his skills outside of Gorillas and Blur and his solo career is very 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 inspirational and I think like he's definitely one of the best. Yeah, I think he's got. I think he's generally had one of the best like careers of like really any musician that I follow mm-hmm. just over over the span of just almost 30 years at this point. I, I think actually about 30 years at this point, like mm-hmm. in 2020, 30 years from like 1990, which is when he first yeah. got signed. So That's he's right. he's been making music fairly accurately in the in the public eye for almost 30 years, about 30 years. And he's never really had a period that wasn't seen as immensely creative mm-hmm. and immensely like rewarding. He's definitely been one of the most, I think, influential artists of the last like last few decades, especially yeah. just in terms of someone seamlessly hop from one genre to the next, whether it be alternative rock, experimental music, hip hop, electronic music, mm-hmm. even just like straight up kind of pop music. Like he can he can kind of basically do anything and do it almost perfectly. But I'll leave you guys with uh on Melancholy Hill, one of my favorite tracks off Plastic Beach. All right, just a quick reminder for everybody. First of all, thanks very much for listening to us throughout season one. We're going to be moving to season two on January 5th. And a little reminder that we come out with a new podcast at the first Wednesday of every month. Yeah. Yeah. So um, that's a, that's the big reminder. And uh, looking forward to seeing everybody in season two. Yeah. Thanks so much for tuning in, everyone. Signing off from Abbey Cat Recordings in Chicago, Illinois. That's been Influence Season 1. We'll see you soon. And this has been Influence. Thank you guys so much.
you can't get what you want. 